Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Um, my name's Dan Morgani and joining me tonight in the studio is Vanessa. How are you, Vanessa? And yeah. also, how uh, has your week in tech been? Oh, g'day. And uh, thanks, Dan. My week in tech has been very good. You know, the the, uh, the chats are playing along. The Excel sheets are not crashing. Long may it continue. How about you? Um, I started Harvard's CX50 course and I watched the first lecture and I've done nothing else beyond that. That sounds but, very serious. So CX, uh, customer experience? Uh Computer science. Oh. It's their free computer intro to computer science course. Oh, amazing. And the first lecture is all about um, the fundamentals of how a computer works. Oh, my gosh. That sounds fantastic. Binary um, and, yeah. Oh, I can't wait. All right. We're going to have to keep catching up as you go through this journey, partly to encourage you, but partly because I want to see if they still teach you know, COBOL or other sorts of, you know, legacy languages which are important to, you know, the f- the financial transactions and things. And they didn't go too much into the language they teach you, mm. but they start you off on a program called Scratch, which yes. when you open it up, it says it's for kids. I know Scratch. Yeah, it's yeah. the basic uh, programming program, I guess, to, to learn. and People really rave about it. They yeah. think it's great. So, oh, all right, this it's, is going to be a good journey. Yeah, so I'm going to make my second ever video game. I made one a narrative game one time <gasps> and it, it was bad. So hopefully I can be a little less bad with oh, this. Oh, we've all been there. Yeah. That's great. Um, I'm full of nothing but enthusiasm for this plan. Yes. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, What's been happening in news? Well, news, uh, it might have been yesterday that the IGEA, the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, launched a report called Australia Plays 2023. It's part of an 18-year series of, of research that they've been doing into this sector, and it's just the latest report in that series. And it declares that four out of five Aussies are playing video games. That is not surprising to me at all. No. Are you? Do you count yourself in the, I do. the four? Absolutely, yes. I do. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think anyone out there, you know, hitting up a bit of Candy Crush should also count themselves. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's about, you know, only AAA, you know, blockbuster games and massive consoles and what have you. Uh, there's there's a whole, you know, a spectrum. Yeah, I'm absolutely, absolutely an advocate for including yourself in that number if, yeah, uh, you're just playing Uno on your smartphone or you're playing WoW 16 hours a day. That was a controversial pronunciation of you know, which we know is the correct thing. But, uh, look, How hey. do the French say it? <laughs> the... Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could remember how to say I don't know in French right now. Uh, so, look, the Australia Plays report is prepared in collaboration with Bond University and it explores the demographics and behaviours of video game players in Australia and their attitudes towards games. So it highlights that playing video games is very much mainstream form of entertainment now and uh, that the the people who play are really diverse. They span all age demographics and the primary reason we play games is to have fun. Um, um, that's well, not a very striking report finding. No. I, I'm sure there are much more striking findings and we are going to get into that later this evening. Yes. Um, also, uh, the PAX 2023 Indie Showcase has uh, announced its winners. Um, among the list is Powerhoof, uh, Melbourne favourite um, The Drifter. Amazing. Um, they've 
create an adventure game called Drifter or The Drifter, I should say. Um, there's Le, uh, Le Drifter. Le Drifter, if, <laughs> you you, if we want to continue with the French theme. There you go. Um, there's The Dungeon Experience by uh, Bone Assembly, who um, have made some other games. It, it's a first-person comedy narrative, so they're known for their quirky... Uh, maybe even more weird than comedy. Um, they've got a, a game called Paradigm, which is about a um, a phallic-headed um, alien on a space station who partners up with a sloth in an astronaut costume. So Well summarised. Yeah, so that's uh, just one of the games that they've made previously. So the dungeon experience, which takes um, the form of uh, a dungeon master going through a D&D campaign um, with all the comedy that that can bring. Um, so, yeah, there's... Um, that actually sounds very appealing to me. Yeah. And, you know, the artwork is is pretty cutesy and... Yeah. yeah. It's not mechanically difficult and um, very narrative, very funny, which can be hit and miss. Comedy in video games is very difficult to pull off, I find, and also it is very subjective. But um, I really enjoyed uh, Paradigm, so I'm really looking forward to this. Um, there's Toybox Game Studios, Primordial Legends, Hollow Hero, um, Dark Wed Streamer from We Have Always Lived in the Forest. There's there's a lot to, to look at um, and a lot of great games on this list. So check them out if, you, if you're interested in seeing some fantastic new independent video games. Excellent. Mm. I love that they're drawing attention to that. Mm. And uh, there's a bit of crime and game news going on. What's happening here, Dan? Yeah, so Thieves stole $300,000 in gaming trading cards at Gen Con 2023. A couple of guys uh, dressed in um, high-vis vests, which just goes to show you can get it in, any, in anywhere if you're wearing a high-vis vest. Um, they dragged a pallet jack onto the floor uh, while the convention was setting up. They picked up this pallet of cards, which they didn't. they're not even 100% sure what cards they are. They could be Magic the Gathering trading cards or Pokemon cards. They just know that a whole entire palette of trading cards was stolen uh, and they walked out the front door with it. So That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's also a bit of a sense check to realise that you need an entire palette worth to hit 300,000. Because I was wondering, are these super rare cards? Yeah. What's going on here? I guess because um, they haven't been opened, they have the potential to be a <laughs> lot more money, but the retail value of the... Is essentially mystery boxes. So uh, that's is, why it's as much as two hundred thousand yeah, yes, value. Yes, yes, that's gotcha. it. Yeah. Um, so um, if you're seeing any cheap deals for trading cards online, uh, you may uh, <laughs> have to think twice where that uh, is being sourced from. There you go. Be incredibly suspicious. Yes. Um, what else is happening? Uh, Space Invaders is back. Yes, I loved this story. So Space Invaders, you might not know, but it's a really old game and it launched in 1978 uh, by a company called Taito, a Japanese company. And now Taito have partnered with Google because Google have been looking for an excuse to bring an AR experience to life. So that augmented reality, um, presumably, you know, uh, based on the success of Pokemon Go mm. and a range of, you know, all the Pokemon spin-off things, which is such a cash cow for Niantic. They're like, we want some of that space and we want to own game playing while people are away from their devices, not just in front of them in a, in a fixed position. Yes. So 
that means they have to be mobile-based and the game is available for both Android and iOS devices. And they've made it quite compatible with, you know, not just your most modern mobile phones. You know, something like a 6S they're still compatible oh, with really? on the iOS. Um, the quite uh, an original, I think one of the Google Pixels, you know, okay. they talked about being available for a whole bundle of things. So worth checking out. I like this for two reasons. Uh, one, the AR, where you get to interact with your physical world in a digital way. And also the fact that they're, um, what would you call it? Like backtracking on on the design or, or yeah, the yeah. available like, platforms. Like backwards compatible. Backwards compatibility. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what was the word that was escaping me. Yeah. So look, it's called Space Invaders World Defense. I'm going to be checking it out and uh, I don't check out everything. So yeah. we shall see. Yes. Triple R. Sam Barlow is a British video game designer, best known as the writer and designer of Her Story, uh, interactive live action video uh, video game. Um, also writer on Silent Hill um, Origins and Silent Hill Shattered Memories and recently released uh, Immortality, another live action video video game. Um, it's a clumsy way of saying it. Uh, how would you describe the design of uh, your most recent uh, three video games, um, Immortality, Telling Lies, and Her Story? Sam, welcome to the show. Yeah, and you, sorry to jump right in there with that question. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You asked me the tricky question, which is, like, I feel like I can, I can pitch them individually, right, based on, well, this is the premise, this is what you're doing, and then people kind of get it, right? Oh, did this woman murder her husband? Uh, you are tapping into the police database and watching footage from her video interviews to figure that out. People are like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. Um, if you if you pull back the higher level, um, the, the broader mission, I guess I've come to understand it as what, how, how could a game work if you take the, the really fundamental fun things about what we generally consider to be very gamey games, right? So in, in a, a Nintendo game like Mario or Zelda or Metroid, like how do you take that exploration, that ex player expression through kind of simple mechanics and apply that to story? Like what does it mean to let someone explore a story? Because I think the vast majority of what traditionally has, has been a, a story-based video game, it's usually there is, there is some other mechanic, which is usually like the exploration of space, right? I'm exploring a spooky old house. I'm wandering around a, a deserted planet. And the story itself, the, the very specific story, will be you know, little notes or audio recordings or cutscenes that are then kind of plonked in that exploration. And, and really what I started doing with her story was going, well, what if we, we got rid of the 3D exploration bit and found ways to make the, the pure story bits, right? the exploration what if instead of exploring a house to read audio logs what if you could explore the audio logs was was kind of me pitching it to myself um and you know i think that uh it felt like it, a very useful thing to be doing in the modern day where everything else is has, is so different right instead of reading a newspaper now i'll go online and go down a, a google rabbit hole and learn about things so everything else we already have this quite exploratory kind of uh approach to how we get information so it was kind of applying that to the idea idea of like a classical story yeah um 
and like these three stories, um, they share like uh, similar mechanics and themes. Um, just quickly, do, do you have a, a name for this trilogy, like uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost with the Cornetto trilogy or something like that? I don't. <laughs> I should. I should do. That would be good. Yeah. Um, no, they. Uh, if, if anyone tries to group them all together, uh, they point out that I'm very interested in notions of identity and doubles and uh, and, and deception. And I'm mm. like, okay, yeah, that's true. What yeah. does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, uh, you spoke a little bit about the um, the story and the and the mechanics and. Um, when you're like when you're writing these these twisting narratives, um, are you keeping in mind that the player is choosing the order of the story uh, story beats somewhat? So, how do you direct uh, a player to um, the the narrative that you're trying to tell while making them feel like they're um, taking part in the story and they're unraveling the story themselves? It must be quite a difficult task to write that kind of thing. I mean, apparently it is because not many other people are doing it. Um, what the way I make sense of it myself is that the bit of telling a story that's really interesting to me is the bit that's like before you're finished, right? So when we th when when people get hung up on this idea of well, how can how can players experience a story if if it's out of order, if they're in charge of how things get put together? And they're thinking of, you know, they're thinking of the the kind of the canonical director's cut, right? If you go and see a movie, there's one version of that movie that is the, the best version of that movie, and it's very specific. And that's clearly an authored piece of storytelling because the director is giving you every piece you need. But if you rewind time to when the director's writing that script, or someone's writing it, there are millions of versions of the script and different ways it could go. And then they get to set and they rehearse it, and they change things, and they cast someone, and then that person's recast because someone else got COVID, and suddenly the character changes, right? And then when they get to the editing suite, whole, you know, swathes of the story can be flipped, reversed, changed. Suddenly, by putting two scenes together or omitting a character, they actually rewrite the story, right, in a, in a different way. Obviously, Marvel movies literally <laughs> will rewrite movies and go back and re-record them, but... To me, as, as a writer, it's always really interesting that a story in my head as a writer has this kind of fluidity and, and does it, it kind of sits all around you. And it's quite exploratory to write it um, and discover things. And also with the structuring of it, think about the different ways of structuring it, right? So I don't know if you took something like uh, an obvious example, like Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, right? It's, it's, deliberately this story that is told out of chronological order for effect. But you could do a version, and I'm sure there is probably on YouTube a version of this, uh, do a linear time version of Pulp Fiction. And it would still be, at its heart, the same plot and the same things would happen to the characters. You might feel differently about them, but it's a it's a valid alternative way of telling that story. Um, so what I tend to do is be like, well if the specific arrangement of a story is kind of arbitrary and if in making that 90 minute movie version of a story, you are forced to uh, sacrifice some details or make some things more obvious or have a specific interpretation of a certain thing. Isn't it interesting to, because we have the ability with the interactivity and the tools 
to give people access to that version of the story where things are a bit more open. So they can kind of join me in in the, you know, they're not writing it, right? It's it's not like Hamlet on a holodeck. They're not there telling me what the story is, but they are participating in putting pieces together and filling in blanks and they're very involved, which I think is is a really cool place to be. So really my job is to create a story which is interesting enough and has enough layers to it that it is fun to explore it, right? In the same way that when Nintendo creates Zelda and they say, hey, you can explore this whole world, go in any direction, and you'll have fun. And it's true. Like, Nintendo are amazing. You wander in any direction, you see an interesting tree on a hill, you'll find something cool there. So they have this pact with you as a player, which they always keep. There are other open world games that are like, you can go anywhere, explore this whole island, and you do, and you're like, eh? all looks the same like yeah. it's not that exciting to explore this island so really my task is to make that interesting zelda version of the space is have the story where there's more than one main character where each character has multiple layers of motivation right where there are kind of see you know it's, it's obviously in something like her story where it's a murder mystery there are deeply buried secrets uh, but there are not just secrets being held from the police there are secrets that people are be, you know holding from themselves right and those are things that you can dig into. And some of those things are never voiced in the text. So you need to dig and compare and think about things to actually get access to some of that kind of nitty-gritty story. And you leave some of the some of it as subtext so that people are filling in the story themselves somewhat. You give that option in there and um, that way it's not the same story for every person as well. Yeah, and I think like to me there was always an interesting paradox when I was working in like the AAA space and you're spending lots of money on these things and trying to tell complicated stories. Oftentimes the money men would say to me, look, you, you've got to spell it out. Like this is a video game, dude. Got to make it very clear what's happening. And, uh, and they would sometimes justify it by saying, well, you know, if the player is in charge, if the player is controlling this thing, if they don't understand everything, that's like a user experience failure. Like that's then they don't have the tools. Whereas I thought, and really her story was was trying to prove this, that if you actually gave them less of the story, if their imagination was having to fill in the blanks, that would only make this interactivity even greater because you're already asking them to lean in and think and build a world model in their head. So if you actually take more out and give more over to their imagination, it seemed like that would only kind of add to the experience. Yeah. Uh, and that's certainly, I, I think, what I've managed to prove out. Yeah. Absolutely, I uh, think so as well. Um, with uh, like like you said, there's not many people making these kinds of games. Um, with uh, her story, um, it's police uh, tape that's been that from 1994. So you ran that through a VCR to get that kind of quality. Is there any? I did. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, that's such an interesting like. Like, I can't imagine there's any other video game developer doing anything like that. Are there any other mechanical um, or development styles that you're using that um, you think would be unique to your to you and your studio? We definitely do some fun things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when I made her story, everyone was like, oh, you could just use a filter. Like, there's stuff in After Effects to make it look like a video. And I was like, dude... I will. I call bullshit on those whenever I see. Like, yeah. let's do it for real. And then I, I remember once I got my, I had to buy like a whole bunch of old video players, and I would mess with my brain by taking like a modern movie 
and running it through the VHS player. And suddenly it was like you trans you'd kind of transported them back in time. Um, we did the the most intense thing we did on Immortality. So there was lots we did on Immortality too. Uh, you know, we, we used lenses that were from the periods. Uh, a lot of what we were doing with the kind of camera machinery was trying to be period accurate. Um, did lots of kind of practical things that wouldn't be done practically now. But the, the thing that was this beautiful mishmash of technology to, to get closer to the analog was we talked a lot about film grain and uh, we decided we were going to shoot digitally um, and then we would recreate the grain in post, um, which, you know, something like, uh, I think, uh, like Knives Out was a good example where, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson wanted to shoot on film. His DP convinced him, we have the technology now. You won't actually be able to tell me the difference, right? And so they do all this clever processing. Um, so we built a simulation in the game engine that um, and like we got so so detailed into what is what is film grain? How does it work? And the cool thing with film grain is you get two grains. You get when it's originally captured, um, you get a grain on the negative. So that's appearing. I can't remember which way around this is, but let's say it's appearing in the dark spots. Um, so the darker parts of the image, which when inverted in the negative, will collect on the, the little granules of the, the grain. And then when you take the film and you print it, and that becomes your, your, your distribution copy of the film, you get a second layer of grain that's on the film that you're printing to. And because you're now reversing the negative, that will appear in the light parts of the image. So you have these two different grains and they have a different granularity and they clump differently um, and so we built this simulation of that in the game engine. Uh, and then it also had to be deterministic because I was like, well, if we're telling people to obsessively pay attention to this movie, if they pause the fifth frame of this scene, which you, if, you, if you did that in Silent Hill, the grain's just random. So you would just get different dots. Then you'd be like, aha, this is not the same. So we had this deterministic uh, randomness to our grain so that if you paused frame five of a clip, it would always be the same grain oh, pattern. Right. Um, and, and, and because in the, in the game, uh, you can make match cuts at any point when you do that, it zooms in, which was a deliberate thing of, of, of the zoom being fun anyway, but wanting to expose how fake the image is, right? If you zoom in, to a film image, you're going to see all the dots and you're going to see the grain and you're going to realize like, this isn't a human being trapped in my screen. This is light captured on a chemical yeah. you know, process. So we knew that like we wanted to zoom into the grain and have it look good and not have it just become pixels and, and become crap and stuff. So the point of it is that no one will notice, right? Yeah. If people notice you failed. Um, and we, we knew we'd won when there was a film critic here in New York who played the game and he was like, man, it was so good. It looked so authentic. Like you clearly shot on film. And I was like, mm, yep, definitely <laughs> shot on film. Triple R. Quickly, uh, you've got uh, a new game in the works, uh, going back to yeah. the, the horror roots. It's a horror game. Um, is this anything like uh, your last three games or is it um, a more traditional interactive experience? Um, and what can you tell us about it? And um, how has your studio pivoted towards more horror than, say, like thriller? Um, if you want to uh, genre. So, I mean, I've always loved horror, and I think Immortality was 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 dipping the foot back in the waters there. And like, what I love about horror is you you take all the things that are metaphor, 
or a kind of thematic ideas and you make them literal, right? Which is one move, which is really interesting, right? So, uh, you know, in, in a horror movie, you're dealing with people's fear of death and you'll literally create the alien or pinhead that is this manifestation of that. But then they become really interesting where you then say, well, let's stop thinking of it as a metaphor. And let's just, now that it's become real, let's treat it as it's real. And I think that bypasses a lot of uh, what would normally make things pretentious. Um, so I, I love that aspect of horror. So this is almost, with this is not really a spoiler, but it's almost a perfect, and this wasn't deliberate, but it happened, perfect synthesis of something like Immortality with something like My Silent Hill game. Uh, shadow of memories like it's it's me going can you take this idea of the kind of exploratory expressive non-linear story mush of immortality that kind of kaleidoscopic sort of exploration of story and rather than than have that as be an archival conceit can we have that in a character-driven third-person video game that looks like a normal video game on the surface. Um, so it's very ambitious. Um, and, and yeah, the pivot is hiring a lot more people and uh, tackling, you know, the scary things about trying to make yeah. uh, an ambitious video game in 2023 in Unreal 5 with, you know, where you can, you could, if you wanted to spend $200 million on this game, and, and still need more money. Like yeah. there, are, there are so many ways to spend the money. And so we're trying to be really smart about how and where we spend the money. And I'm feeling like foolishly feeling lots of, of kind of hubris coming off immortality, having pulled that off. Cause I think on paper going, we're going to shoot these three period movies and do all this. And we're going to do it for this much money. Uh, on paper looked like a very foolhardy thing to do. And we kind of jumped into that game being like, it, it's better to have a swing and a miss than to not swing. Right. So we, we wanted to make something that was indulgent and ambitious. So having pulled that off, it's, uh, you know, encouraging us to do even more foolhardy things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a really interesting video game. I've, you know, it's been what I, I was working on Legacy of Kane in like 2013. Another like very so narrative-heavy game. You- yeah, so it's been 10 years since I worked on a, a quote-unquote proper video game. Hmm. And, you know, in those 10 years, you know, sometimes I will sit on the sidelines and look at what is happening and be like, oh, come on, try harder. Like, oh, I've seen this game before. Like, oh, you know, when I see... The, the third remake of Resident Evil 4, as much as that game was a masterpiece, it's like, oh, come on, guys, let's... Bring out with the old, in with the new. Yeah, let's try some... some let's really push these things. Yeah. Which, you know, so this is me going, well, okay. So, you know, let's see, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. See if, uh, if if it's as easy as you're making it sound. <laughs> um, you, you said a little bit before you're, you're hiring more people. Um, so you're, you're now quite an established video game developer. Um, how important do you see bringing up the next generation of developers? Do you like, do you even feel that way or do you feel like you're still one of the new kids on the block? Um, I definitely occasionally have that stupid, uh, uh, dissonance of, of thinking I'm still really young and have my life ahead of me and then realizing like, oh crap, no, um, 
And it is weird when people do recognize me or say, oh, I've heard of all your games. Because I'm like, really? Okay. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, from a very selfish level, it would be great to have a bunch of people who could do all the work so I didn't have to do it. Um, <laughs> and so that's definitely important. I think, you know, I would love... I mean, the reason I made her story and the reason I pushed some of these games is because I want to see more diverse and different stories and game mechanics. Uh, and clearly a way to do that is to bring in a, a kind of younger, more diverse set of people to disrupt things and try out new ideas. So, you know, as as little as I can, you know, the, the, or rather as much as I can do in my limited capacity um, is, uh, you know, I'm all for it, trying to, uh, see what it can do with uh, this medium. Yep. Um, we'll just uh, quickly touch on South by Southwest. Um, so that's coming to Sydney. Um, what's going to be your focus during this event? Um, enjoying Sydney is going to be a key one for me. Last time I came to Sydney, it was to do. It was actually to do motion capture on one of the Silent Hill games, and they put me in a hotel in the Olympic village which is almost deserted yeah right? it's interesting it's not near where the action is happening it, it was near where the mocap was happening uh so i got a very a very limited sydney experience when i was there um and then yeah i'm going to be yeah, talking about what i've been doing uh with immortality and really kind of the the place that immortality and my games occupy in ushering in a, a kind of 21st century of storytelling uh, without getting too deep into it. Like my whole thing these days is looking back at the 20th century and you have TV and movies and radio and, and to some extent books. And it was uh, a game changer in storytelling in terms of the number of people you could reach with broadcast media Um if you have time for my favorite trivia, um, <laughs> my favorite piece of trivia, which really illustrates how incredible something like television was at the time, was uh, in the 50s, Orson Welles did a uh, Shakespeare play. I'm forgetting which one it was now. I'd say it was Twelfth Night. He, he does the Shakespeare performance on one of the TV channels. And more people watched that performance of the Shakespeare play on that broadcast than had ever seen that play anywhere in the entire history of the world prior to that moment. And so you're like, Oh, like, wow. Like it really did make storytelling a medium that had this kind of global reach where you could create, you know, cultural moments that we all experience simultaneously. So beautiful stuff, but by necessity broadcast makes things static. It makes them in a, the relationship that you previously would have had, in an audience or being told a story orally like that kind of sense of it being alive is lost because you have to pin the butterfly and put it in the film can and send it around the world or whatever. Um, and I think interactivity and what we have in video games is an incredible opportunity to have the scale of broadcast, but to create these more intimate individual personal experiences. Um, so I think, you know, as me you know, my games, obviously, sit in this lovely middle ground between games and other media and film and things. And even that, you know, books, they, they feel very bookish in ways. Um, so, you know, I'm there to try and bang my drum 
Nice. Uh, about you know everyone else jumping on. I want to, you know, I just want to. You want to make shake, it- shake stuff up and and create things which have that you know unboundedness that I think my games do. That's um yeah that's a good uh, um advertisement for your games I guess as well um <laughs> um thanks so much for coming on the show. Sam Barlow has uh, been with us talking about uh, his um, studio and games, uh, Immortality, Her Story, Telling Lies, um, and a new horror project coming up. Um, Sam will be at uh, South by Southwest in Sydney, October 15th to 22nd. Um, Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Triple R. Uh, IGA, the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, has released the Australia Plays 2023 report and there's quite a few interesting findings, um, quite a few, um, you know, no-brainers that we're aware of. That's true, yeah. Um, Such as uh, 48% of video game, the video game audience is women. Um, There you go. So women and girls are playing more than ever before. Um, So that's, you know, a great... Um, stat to have in there and yeah. pretty nice much... Yeah, to see some balance. Yeah, pretty much tracks with what I expect video games to be these days. Yeah, what interested me was some of the penetration stats were super high, like 94% of Australian households have a device for playing video games because yeah. I, I don't think of any of my devices as solo, solely for doing that. So I don't have a console, I don't have a Switch. Yeah, um, Just so you consider your phone... My phone yeah. is yeah. not there for playing games yeah let's face it that yeah. is far from its primary or even fifth purpose you yeah. know like it's down there but uh yeah so that was super high especially when they're saying four out of five people play but i guess once you're in multi-person households that is really bumping the numbers up yeah absolutely um i love uh the the genre that they've got in there so puzzle um action adventure and strategy which is not what i would have considered um to be the most popular. Oh, so mainly, those are the most popular. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. The, the top player genre choices. Right. Um, puzzle I can understand because yes. um, match three games come under that. So Toon Blast, Candy Crush, those kind of things, which are so ubiquitous. Uh, I think four out of five people would have that on their phone mm. um, alone. So mm. um, I'm not surprised by that. But Action Adventure, which I guess is a pretty broad genre. That's everything from Assassin's Creed to... Um, other AAA games, God of War. Yeah, um, yeah. but so even even you know platformer things can come in that category if they have the right storytelling or something. Yeah, like, depends how broadly they've defined that. Yeah, and genre is also. Um, I mean, this goes into the way we classify media, but genre is very fluid as well. So, yes. um, I every, love a fluid genre. Yeah, <laughs> every game and these strategy days. games. Yeah, um, which I can also now that I'm thinking about, it, I also understand that would be stuff like League of Legends. Perhaps and yes, yes, Dota, um, your original Warcrafts, yeah. sort of thing. I, I heard an argument that uh, Counter Strike, um, the first person shooter, could be considered a strategy game. Oh, controversial because of the way that the two teams strategize and how they um, attack each other. Um, yeah, I uh, like that. I, I mean, mean, it's not the technical definition, yeah. but it, they've made a good case for it. I'm, I'm happy to entertain that uh, <laughs> line of thought, but it's, it's not... It's fun after all. This yeah. Is, this is an entertainment, like, yeah, you know, area. That's exactly right. I, I loved that 91% of parents play with their children to connect as a family. Yeah, that's... um, I mean, certainly 
when I was growing up, that happened. We had a lot of sing, like a lot of sing stars. They released a new sing star, which is essentially just a licensing of new songs every couple of months. And I reckon we had them all. I reckon by the time... I feel like, yeah, there used to be a time when people would come into work and, you know, there'd be the the latest dad who had discovered karaoke through SingStar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So I imagine the Nintendo Switch has a lot to do with that as well. That's a very um, family-oriented system. Well, they really tried to push into that market with the Wii. Yeah, which was... It was very successful. Incredibly successful. Yeah. I think uh, it may be the most um, widest-selling video game console of all time. Yeah. It's either that or the PlayStation 2, I can't recall. Right. Um, But... Yeah, definitely most successful because in their ads they were appealing to yes. grandparents. They had grandparents playing with their grandkids yeah. and that's the Nintendo design philosophy. It's well, for Well, and I think they've seen a lot of benefits for, you know, mental activity in, um, in jumping into these things, particularly when the games um, encourage use of hand-eye coordination or that there's the, the puzzle aspects that, you know, that they think are probably good for us but they're not really sure, which yeah. is... But that's in the same zone as crossword puzzles, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's sort of similar. You'd have to think that there's some benefits there. They say it sharpens up you sharpens you up mentally. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, another one, uh, Australians over 65 years play to be challenged and improve mental health. So I think this follows on from what we were just talking about. Um, so Australians over 65 who are playing video games saying that it's, um, you know, providing them with uh, a challenge and allowing them to improve their mental health? Well, I think you'd have to see some of these things um, in relation to each other. You know, the improved mental health, it's like, well, if you're using it to connect with people, you know, whether that's your family or other people online, you know, we know that that's a positive thing for the most part. Uh, Yeah, that's really great. And then, you know, we've talked about this rise of augmented reality games and how being in a game doesn't mean that you're not in the world. And that's the same is true of all those puzzle sort of games. It's like, well, maybe you're in the waiting room of a doctor's office if you're spending that time doing something you enjoy, whether that's listening to a podcast or playing a game, yeah. then that's got to be enhancing your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, certainly it is for me anyway. Um, something's unsurprising, 35 years old, the average age of video game players, I think that would almost be the average age of Australians. Um uh, another unsurprising one, people enjoy it for um, achieving, exploring and socialising with others. Um, so 81, oh, sorry, 59% say that they enjoy socialising with others. Do you get much of that in your gaming these days? I think I more observe that um, the socialising has been very carefully um, sort of gatekept or something so that you know, the protection of children who might be playing is paramount. Yeah. And I think that is the right decision to make. So that just happens to be because of the sort of, you know, juvenile games I'm playing. Yeah. Because I find them stress relieving. Yeah. Um, you know, they just have to watch out for an audience like that. But um, I'd say in the old days when I was when I was playing first-person shooters or what have you, or playing, you know, classic Nintendo things like Mario Karts. It was a highly social thing, you know. I've been playing um, World of Tanks with um, a few of my friends. You can tell that we're, we're getting older because we're all getting into World War II history. I've never heard of that game. It's, it's made by, I think it's a Russian company, um, but 
they just they're fastidious with the historical accuracy of the tanks that they're using on the battlefield and as you play it's a free to play game so if you're into World War II history and uh, the type of axle that was used on a M3 Stuart tank in the First World War. Um, definitely have a look into this game. It's a um, you drive you drive your tank. It's a third person of your tank. Um, you get to choose the type of ammunition. Uh, wow. There's a crazy amount of uh, history in the type of ammunition that you can use. It's um, so that's what I play with my friends where we talk about You're making <laughs> World me War feel like I want to dream up my ideal games, which would be if I fix it, did a mashup with a game like that. Yeah. And instead of, you know, choosing ammo and whatever, you know, you talked about the axles. I'm like, yes, if you could learn how to fix a vehicle that's actually in your life, um, like say a, a beautiful Toyota Corolla, then, yeah. uh, <laughs> then wouldn't that be amazing? Like that would be fun to me. Well, there's there's a game called PC Builder, yeah, which is literally a, <gasps> a video game with um, somewhat simple graphics where you actually get to pick the pieces of the computer that you'd beautiful. like to build. So if you go and build your dream computer, the first thing you can do is go on buy PC Builder yes. game and then build your computer again virtually if oh you so gosh. desire. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes, that's integration. Yeah. That is, that's perfect, you know, non-exploitative integration. Yes, that's it. I'm impressed. Um, are there any other numbers here that uh, surprised you or that you were uh, uh, also not surprised by? No, I think I'm done with the numbers. I'm done with the report. I, I'm glad that they did it. Um, but I think, you know, games are well and truly mainstream now. Yep. So, yeah, I, I just want to see investment yeah. in indie games rising because that's yep. where my love is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check out this report on the IGEA website, uh, IGEA.net. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R. We wanted to talk about a few games-related events that are going around. Coming up, Melbourne International Games Week. It starts from the Ooh. 30th of September. I know we're going early, but you've got to keep across these events because some of them you've got to sign up for. Um, the uh, Games Expo packs will be coming back as part of that. Same with uh, Games Connect Asia Pacific, the industry um, conference and um, talk uh, part of the, the Games Week, yeah. which... Um, very much about business and um, the more uh, intense aspects of video game design. So um, always some interesting talks coming out of that. Definitely. There's an event that we do love, which is High Score. It's where the live music community in Melbourne and video game makers mash up and focus on the art of composing music for games. That's always a stunning event. A so, big fan, big fan of that yeah, one. Yeah, hopefully we'll hear more later. Yes. Um, and then, of course, there's a Mario King of Kart tournament. Um, C32 races uh, try to win the King of Kart championship live at Fed Square. Uh, Perfect. On October 6th, so... Plenty to do at Melbourne International Games Week. Can't forget comes free play parallels on the 5th of October at Acme and Fed Square, they've announced, so that's good. Yeah. Oh, what an action-packed week. If you love video games, and I do, that is exactly what I'm after. Do also check out South by Southwest Sydney because they keep updating their games page. They've said their showcase will platform 150 independent games from across the APAC region. So, yeah, go hunt that out. Ten of them have been announced so far. We've got some favourites in that list. Oh, Wooden Weather from Paper House, Gubbins by Studio Folly. That, uh, like, there's too many to name. That's, um, that's enough. They're all winners. Yes, absolutely. Love it. 
Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.